Dual Citizen, The Connection, Chapter 1. Jackie, Moody growled. If the boy's condition doesn't improve before lunchtime, you best better believe I don't beat you to the hospital. And Moody looked squarely at his wife. And by improve, I mean his fever's been under a hundred and has stayed that way. There was no response. I'm leaving the truck so you can drive him, Moody stated, because he knew she wouldn't take him if she had to drive the stick shift car. Now I gotta go to the garage, Moody said, and left so hard he let the storm door slam. It was five o'clock in the morning, and the boy's fever had been over one hundred degrees for three days. The toddler woke up when the door slammed, but was too woozy to cry or talk. The child had just turned three and dozed off again lost in fever. Jackie, the boy's granny, just sucked on her cigarette, considering. The child's pawpaw's full name was Kendall Winifred Moody, but everyone called him Moody, mostly because he was. He was an average height and a middle-of-the-road color, somewhere between mocha and chocolate. His eyes had a glint of steel blue, shone bright, and were easy-going. He kept an Errol Flynn mustache, he thought, made him look dashing. His voice was calm, and he loved to talk with people. Moody would talk with anyone, and everyone genuinely liked talking to him, but it went gruff with his wife, because she didn't want to hear it. Granny, or Jackie, back in the day, probably wanted to hear it when they met. She was a force with her confident poise, elegant style, and good looks. She was taller and thinner than Moody. She had a lovely smile that hit a sharp tongue and nasal voice, which, when employed, made her big eyes dance. But Jackie was understated most of the time, and preferred to assess the situation before she struck. She wore lanky skirts over long legs, like the other Jackie, the white one that had been in the White House, until the hardness hit you. When called for, her sharp cuts were followed by a self-gratifying cackle, which were low and to herself. But if it was really good, and if she had her drink on, Granny's cackle went full throttle with a head-back condemnation heard throughout the store, bowling alley, or neighborhood. What may have been romance between Moody and Jackie was long gone, or was hard to decipher at best. Moody had made it back from World War II in one piece, he served in the only black regiment sent to the Pacific, so he figured there must have been a reason he lived. When they met, Granny was raising two teenage girls on her own. Moody knew it was the right thing to do, if not for Granny's sake, for the girls. That was what was done back then, at least in Moody's mind. West Virginia in the 1960s was no place for a single black woman with two young girls. Both of their first marriages had fully disintegrated by 1963, so they tied the knot. But their relationship wasn't easy, because Granny and Moody had hard constitutions. Moody's came from Virginia. He was the son of a minister who lived to 107. Both of his parents were well-educated with college degrees, and both taught school. Moody also grew up in a large house surrounded by hundreds of acres of farmland. Granny, on the other hand, was from West by God, Virginia, and felt uneducated. Her hard-headedness was inherited from the Jim Crow South, and oddly, the fact she didn't grow up there was the important part. 
Granny Berger, her mother, got out of Alabama, but that was never spoken about under any circumstances, so no one knew how. And what happened to Granny and Moody wasn't uncommon. Being right gradually became more important than kindness. Argument and bitterness seemed more logical than forgiveness and understanding, so annoying each other became paramount no matter the consequences. But the competition of Will and Wilde made for great stories, and the intrigue of recounting the tales caused by their feuding made the pair infamous. At the center the girls were raised well, despite the grinding of Moody and Granny's relationship. They had their mother's sarcastic wit and collected quite a bit of Moody's big heart. As the girls got older there were complications. Right now there was a big one for the oldest, and Vera's three-year-old boy was in serious trouble. Granny looked down at her grandson, who was red and rashy with heat. To her, the hospital was always last resort. You didn't just go to the hospital. Granny called her mother again, and Granny Berger conferred. Never go to the hospital unless you're dead. After all, Granny thought, the boy's fever had to come down soon. It had been three days. Moody called a little before lunchtime. Well? His temperature's up to a 103, Granny answered. But Moody didn't wait for the rest. Jackie, if you're not to the hospital before I am, I swear I'm going to beat your stubborn ass all the way back from it. But Granny was ready and hung up the phone. An hour before, she had called down to Vera's house. She had an easy-going soul and was a lot like Moody, even though she wasn't his. Vera was a good height, and her hair was light tan and naturally straight, although she dyed it black to whip it into a bouffant exactly like Miss Funicello. Vera's velvet skin had a soft cushion underneath, which made you want to caress her. That, and the sexiness of her voice, made her intoxicating without doing anything. She was statuesque like her mother, was bubbly, and her high cheekbones were always ready to laugh. Other than her voice... Vera's most striking feature was the complexity of her hazel-brown creole eyes, which were very tired. Granny had let Vera sleep, because she had been up with her boy so many days already. She held down two cleaning jobs at night, and with her younger boy just turning two, Vera was exhausted. Besides, Granny had things situated. Ginny, Vera's sister, was to stay with little Freddy and Vera was to come to Granny's to wait for the phone call. Now was the time, and Vera took her beautiful boy in her arms. They put the child's things in the truck and went straight to the hospital. He was waning fast, and it seemed to Vera his fever made her boy smaller, as if he were evaporating. Hurt, anger, and worry gained ground as they went. But what was about to happen wasn't up to this world. Moody arrived at the hospital just after they had gotten Vera's boy into a room. The mechanic didn't take time to change out of his green jumpsuit. Moody was spattered with oil, radiator fluid, and car grease, but he couldn't fix anything there. As the nurses took the toddler's temperature and prepped him, the smells and sights reminded Moody had it just been three years since the child came into the world. The tiny boy's name was Tracy. 
His real name was Tremel, a Creole name Vera liked. When Vera was about to bring Tracy into this world, Ginny called her sister. Vera welcomed the distraction from the noise, sweat, and total discomfort of labor. As Vera dilated, Ginny asked what she was going to name her baby. I liked Dell, Vera said, but Moody said that was too common. So what's it going to be then? Ginny asked. Tramel, Vera answered, and she was sure of it. Tramel, Ginny was skeptical. She had never heard that name, and wasn't sure if it was a boy's or a girl's, but maybe that was the point. Are you sure you don't mean Timothy? Tramel, Vera replied carefully through the cocktail of soothers, hormones, and urges that ran through her veins. What does that mean? Ginny demanded. I'm not sure, Vera answered. I just know that's his name. How are you so sure? There was no answer, so Ginny continued on her mission. But what's going to be his middle name? Vera didn't have an answer for that either. She was just nineteen, and having her first baby was a lot to handle. Back in the kitchen, Ginny picked up the can of peaches she was using to make a pound cake. It was before dawn, and she was baking it as a surprise for Vera, because peaches were her favorite. Ginny studied the can and smiled. Seems you like Del. Why not Del Monte? Ginny asked. Ooh, that sounds nice, Vera cooed. Del Monte it is, which became the child's middle name. Now, three years later, Moody and Granny stood helpless as they looked at their grandson, who had such a fever he was not likely to live. There was definitely something about the boy, as Moody called him. Most obviously he was a boy, which automatically made him a different caliber from their girls, whether Moody admitted it or not. But it was more than that. As little as he was, both Granny and Moody saw something in him that could change them. At the moment that was threatened, and the little child was under serious attack. The nurses ran to get ice for the water bath, and Vera stripped the toddler. Then the doctor took him, and he waved him around to get his temperature less than a hundred and five. It was strange to see a baby waved like that, because it looked ceremonial and dangerous. The tiny boy's flesh was limp and wet as he sailed through the air, naked as he came into this world. And it made everyone stop, everyone in both worlds. In the highest, the great audience simultaneously stopped cheering. The entire cloud of witnesses held their glasses of joy still as they turned to watch. Their special attire fell silent, and only the gold and jewels of their apparel shone as they stared. Then he looked down at Tracy with great mercy in his heart. From their unseen balconies, the whole company watched the nurses pour in the ice. They stood in amazement as the doctor held the boy above the water. In this world, the white enameled basin glistened with iciness. The child realized it was for him, and he rallied to squirm violently. The boy yelled for Moody, but his grandfather didn't come. The tiny child reached harder for his pawpaw and screamed so hard he lost his breath. Moody couldn't help but step forward to do something, anything, 
and Tracy saw his pawpaw's tears welled up. Next, there was an audible gasp from the great cloud of witnesses as the tall, shiny silver figure opened the door. A brilliant sliver of light in the shape of a doorframe opened and closed behind Moody. Then, to the cloud of witnesses' amazement, the tall, shiny silver figure stepped through. Unknown to anyone in the hospital room, he stood behind Moody and held his hand out without saying a word. In the highest, everyone in the magnificent audience held their breath. Here, in this world, the child saw them. Tracy's comfortable, wonderful grandfather, who was scared for him, and the stately, magnificent, tall man made of light. Then Moody bent toward his boy as tears rolled down his cheeks. The tall, shiny silver figure stood alongside Moody as if a brilliant shadow. His loving hand of light was held out next to Pawpaw's big, familiar leathered hand, and the child reached up for them. Pawpaw, you! Pawpaw, you! That was the choice! little Tracy thought. The child knew his pawpaw well, but somehow he knew the tall, shiny silver figure better. The boy also knew this was the time to choose. As the doctor lowered the toddler into the water, Tracy reached his hand out to him, and he took the child's hand. The cloud of witnesses went wild with cheers and tossed their hats. Music played along with a terrible noise of fireworks, and the crowd's joy was refilled from the bottom of their goblets as they praised him. Back here, the boy cried dreadfully. He struggled in complete misery as his mother, Granny, and Papa looked on in horror. Their minds clotted with guilt and regret, and they wondered if they might lose their tiny boy to the cold forever. But Tracy never felt the ice water. Instead, he was snatched out of his three-year-old body. He was instantly warm and well, and Tracy really did know the tall, shiny silver figure better than he knew his pawpaw. Besides, he looked like what Tracy's imaginary friend sounded like. Tracy thought it was wonderful to be there sitting on his lap, just the two of them. Tracy also knew he was in his room, the room made just for him, and that it was safe, safer than anywhere he had ever been. I want to show you some things, the tall, shiny silver figure said, and he spoke very fast. The toddler looked at him and wanted to take in all of him. He was so comfortable, even though he was so overwhelming with colors and light. Still, Little Tracy felt he was the only one in the world, although everyone and everything was there in the room with them. In fact, the tall, shiny silver figure was everything. But right now, he was with Tracy. He was tall, the little boy thought, even when sitting down, and the tall, shiny silver figure smiled when he heard that. He had a large book in his hand which was so large the book spread across both his legs when he opened it. He held Tracy in one arm and flipped through the pages with the other. The pages made music that changed with the vibrant scenes, and they were pictures of Tracy's world, the one he was about to live. 
The child's eyes grew big as the pages went by, and he got taller. When Tracy saw himself twice as big, and his arms were too long for his body, the tall, shiny silver figure stopped on a page. Remember this, he said with speed and excitement. Tracy saw woods, and there was fear in them related to a pile of damp sheets. While he sat in the tall, shiny silver figure's lap, Tracy didn't feel shame, but wondered if he should. Then Tracy looked up from the scene into the face of his host. His face was so easy, Tracy thought, and it seemed he could only smile. Then the toddler realized his own face looked worried. You have nothing to fear, the tall, shiny silver figure said. I will help. Just ask. And little Tracy snuggled back into his arms. It would always be all right, Tracy thought, no matter how bad it seemed. Then the tall, shiny silver figure flipped through the book and stopped a few more times. He would say, Remember this? And he picked up the book to show Tracy the whole scene. As he flipped through more pages, he got more animated. Remember this? He said, and the pages got harder and more complicated. Then he flipped faster, as if he didn't want to see them. He flipped faster so the times of pain might be shorter than they had to be, when suddenly the tall, shiny silver figure stopped and held the book wide open. He glowed more silver and almost yelled at Tracy with pure joy. Remember this, he exclaimed emphatically and bounced Tracy on his knee, and the music from the page was exquisite. He held the book up with amazement and said it again with ultimate exuberance. Remember this, Tracy, just get here. And he was practically dancing. Whatever you do, just get here and caught his breath with relief. Just get here, and I will come and see you again. And when you see this again in real life, I will come back and visit you. If you say yes, I will take over your life, and we will have a really good time. Just make it to this, Tracy. Then the tall, shiny silver figure smiled down at the toddler. He had great love in his flickering eyes, as if to remember Tracy the way he was. So new and wondrous. Remember this, he repeated on that all-important page. Then his voice faded, and the rest of the pages fluttered away. And the next thing Tracy remembered was waking up in the hospital. Little Tracy's bed was huge and squishy, but as white and as clean as it was, it seemed dirty from where he had just been. The hospital room was also noisy and smelly. Tracy wanted to go back to his room with the tall, shiny silver figure. It was so nice there, Tracy thought. And when he looked around, he saw his mother, which surprised him. Vera sat in a chair next to his bed and was asleep. When the toddler tried to get up, Vera heard him. Hi, baby, she said. And Vera cleared her throat and smiled broadly. How are you? Vera's voice was soothing, even when talking about the weather. Tracy laughed when he heard it, because he loved his mom so easily. I'm fine, Tracy said in a three-year-old way. Vera put the back of her hand to his head the way mothers do, and sighed in a deep, well-earned way. The ordeal was over, but Tracy tried to get up again. Where are you going, honey? Vera asked. 
I want to get my picture book, Tracy said, and the boy really wanted to get up this time. But Tracy's body was heavy and slow, and it wanted to stay behind. The bed was too big and soft for him to get out, so Tracy laid back in defeat and looked at his mom. Can you get my picture book? Tracy asked. Vera looked around, thinking. You mean the one your papa got you? I think we left that at home, sweetie. No, mamma, not that one, little Tracy said, and he didn't understand why his mamma didn't know about his picture book. It was so wondrous. The one with my pictures, the boy explained. Vera yawned. I could see if they have one here so you could color. Tracy got upset. No, I want my picture book, he said firmly. Calm down, honey. We'll find you something to color, Vera said decisively. The boy didn't want to make his mama upset, so he stopped. And Tracy knew not to ask about the picture book any more.